get a sense, as if someone's watching you. It's probably kids. I'm Michael LaFaber. And I'm Ryan Matlock. We're two judgmental fans of Beyond Gilead. Are we? And today we're reviewing 9-10, Knock Knock Who's There, by Laurie Twitchell. Yes, we are. So join us for episode 120 on our return to Gilead. Here's the summary for today's episode. When Mr. Key's house is open to visits from prospective buyers, the Morrison kids start guessing about who might be moving on to Gilead Lane. Ryan, I would like to ask you a question. Okay. What is the theme of today's episode? Hmm, if I had to say what the theme was, it would be not to judge others before you know them. Okay. Play the clip of the day. Sorry, wasn't prepared for that to just be already. <laughs> this is important. We're going right into it. This is important. How can they see the house in the dark? <laughs> She's got a good point. If someone is really interested in the house, they may hope that they can get in quickly and make an offer before anyone else does. Well, I hope it wasn't those people who were yelling. Yeah, they were a little loud. A little loud? I think a picture broke from that woman's voice. She should sing opera. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, aren't you exaggerating just a little? Okay, maybe a little. But it feels that loud when you get woken up by it. Well, then let's just pray that maybe we get quiet neighbors. Yeah. Ryan, could you say what the theme <laughs> was again? Uh, not, not to be judgmental of people before you know them? Okay, this is the first instance of this in the episode. Who's guilty of this? Uh, I think the answer might be Mary, Mary Morrison. Morrison. Yes. Why is this okay? And what the kids do later, not okay. The difference being, she's not judging anybody so much as saying, hey, we can hope for the best, versus the kids, I'd say, <laughs> the reason what they did was wrong was because they were watching from afar, making quick judgments, and then saying, I don't want any part of this person. Like, this person's automatically bad, even though I I have not taken the time to get to know them. So I wrote down the things that they said. The first one that Michael writes down around... Well, he, so he, he has this whole imagination, this flashback sequence. I think this is one of the, the next couple things that he writes down. Uh, one of them is, yeah, too snobby, uptight. They have it written down that some of the other prospective buyers were rich. But other than that... There's not a specific call to action on, yeah, we do not like these people. It is, these were the qualities that we saw in these people. And yeah, they are rash judgments without knowing them. But then there are plenty of interactions between them and other people, like that couple that shows up who they treat like they were being passive aggressive. And you could say that they were, but you could also argue that they weren't because the acting was kind of stiff. I couldn't really tell. And then... <laughs> That one, those two kids that Hope interacts with who were very annoying and who were giving Hope a taste of her own medicine. And then Bill Mincer, who seems legitimately nice. So between all those people, you could say that they were being too rash about it. But explain to me again, maybe I just missed it this time. How is that different from what Mary did? I don't think Mary actually judged any individual person. So the kids were all complaining about like this, this person was loud. And that's a discernible quality that you can say, eh, maybe we don't want that. But the prayer is not against a specific person, but rather that a good outcome comes around. But wouldn't and that I'm not about to be... say that that's like perfect. I think there is maybe like, 
I think the dis- differentiation comes in the end. We get a look at the list where there's even more than we actually got to hear in the episode. Like the dad has a list that's like too. Too loud, too, rich, too short. It's too rich, too mean, too short. Too rich, too mean, too short. Right. And those last two, we don't quite get them writing those down. But then like you, you hear that and you're like, oh, wow, that's that's kind of mean. The mom didn't make a list of like, okay, these are the people I'll pray for and these are the people I won't pray for. She just was praying for equality, well, I suppose. What the kids are praying for is that the best neighbors would arrive there. And based on the qualities that they see in the neighbors, which the episode says are accurate, all of those qualities that they judge them from afar are actually like admitted to being accurate. And I can explain how that works. But if those qualities are accurate, what would be the problem in praying for the best neighbors to come? And I can explain why they're accurate if that helps. I can tell you what I think theologically. I don't think there's anything wrong with praying for the best neighbors to come so long as you believe that that's God's discernment, not yours. (laughs) Then I'll move on here. Do you know what I mean when I say the episode is saying that their judgments about them, the people outside, were accurate? I suppose, yes. I think some of them, like the one or two places where the kids' assessments aren't accurate. One is that they think that the kids who play with hope are nice. When they're not. Fair. And two, they think that the people in the splashy clothing are hippies when they've never met them. Yeah. And so they fantasize like, oh, wow, these guys are super radical hippies, which, can I just say, this episode had something to get off its (laughs) chest about hippies, apparently. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. (laughs) (laughs) But aside from that, yeah, like, I think some of the time, even though they're, like, looking at these people through binoculars, they're, they're making rash judgments, but other times it's... Like, no, no, they are absolutely short. There's no way to (laughs) mistake whether these people are short or not. Well, here's what I'm pointing to. At the end of the episode, Mary talks about what if there are neighbors here that we could actually help. And I think Timmy says, like Mr. Key, we helped him a lot. And then Haley says, I think I want the notebook back. I, I think I know what to pray for now is the discussion there. And the episode resolves that on that note. So... Mary's point of all of these qualities that you were praying against, you could actually be praying for those neighbors to be here so that therefore we can encourage them and be a help to them if they need it, like as Christians. So then Haley's like, oh, so that way I can use the notebook for good, which means that the stuff that was written in the notebook was actually accurate. The episode is simply saying, no, you were taking this accurate information and praying the wrong way about it. Well, what if you pray the right way about it and say, all these negative qualities about people help me to learn to love them? That's fine. But it seems like the episode is then saying all of these things that Haley had written down were kind of true, which in that case, I don't think it would be wrong to then say, maybe minus the couple things that are clearly conjectures and aren't true. I would rather not have a neighbor like that on the street because they could be somebody who's struggling with something deep down inside and that's why they're acting that way. Or they could just think that that's a way to act and just not know good social skills. Maybe they're maybe they're fine spiritually, but just a little off. Some people are just like that. I, I think I agree on some of that. I think what might bring a little bit of clarity to it sure. is it's about the kids' hearts in what they write down. They don't just write down 
this is the family of short people. This is the family of people with colorful clothes. They put too short, too flashy. The episode isn't saying that everything they wrote in the notebook was good. It's saying that they can use the notebook in a different way with a different perspective now, where instead of reading too short and thinking, okay, so I'll pray against them, they read too short and sort of reword it in their heads as these were the short people. And so now they can pray for something instead of, nah, we don't want them to get the house because then we won't be able to play basketball with them. Instead, they get to say, hey, God, those short people, if they get the house, great. Could you please show me ways to engage with them, even though basketball might not be the best way to do that? So how is Mary saying, let's pray we get some quiet neighbors, not implicitly praying against the loud neighbors? Because I think there's a difference between singling out people due to things they can't control versus singling out people due to the way they've treated you. I'll give you two examples. We have Samuel who judged David because he was the smallest in the family, right? No, his father did, or David's father did, not necessarily Samuel. Let me rephrase. So Samuel didn't judge David. He judged all the brothers. So like he saw the first brother and he was like, wow, this guy's super strong. Oh, yeah, sure. Right. So it's sort of an implicit judgment of David because he was looking for physical characteristics and thus didn't see David as like, oh, yeah, let's go with David first <laughs> sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So here we have an example where someone is judging based on something that someone can't control and thus overlooking them for it. Versus if someone were to strike you and you didn't appreciate that because it hurt you, it caused detriment to your life, I don't think there's anything wrong with praying, Lord, please, if that person could not strike me again, that would be great. Um, your will, Lord, but I would appreciate not being struck. That wouldn't be, I'm praying against this person. Or otherwise, if you said, Lord, if you could arrange for things so that I don't have to run into this person and get struck again, that would be great. That's not praying against that person. It's just praying for, I guess, a sense of uh, an arrangement that leads to peace. But I see where like it's very fuzzy yeah. and it's very like my problem with this episode was sort of different. I didn't I didn't catch this one liner from Mary where she's like, let's pray we get quiet neighbors. And when I heard that in the clip that you chose, I was like, oh, well, that sort of extends the problem I have with this episode, <laughs> okay. which I, here's what I wrote down in my notes yeah. was, I sure do love when we get the moral of the story before the kids make the, pro make the mistake that necessitates the moral for the story. Oh man, we're back to stage love plotting here. No, we're not. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like that's, no. that's the same, the same issue being there wasn't a climax in the first draft or in... Oh, well, yeah, sure. but but yeah, keep going. We've got the parents saying, hey, let's pray for these people, but let's not be judgmental. Let's not jump to conclusions. Like Mary has a conversation with Michael about that in the clip of the day and even beyond that clip, I think. And then the kids go on to do the exact thing that their parents kind of caution them against doing. And it it's weird because now it's it's like we have a three act structure, but the third act is at the beginning and the end. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. In this format, 
we get the parents telling the kids, here's how we're supposed to live. Then the kids go up to the attic and do the opposite. And then the parents bring them downstairs and say, see what you did? This is how we're supposed to live. And it's this weird sandwich dialogue, which or this weird sandwich moral where it's not kids start at a state of neutrality, are faced with an issue and then make the wrong decision and then learn from the mistakes that they made. Instead, we get kids start from a state of not neutrality, but positive, like, hey, kids, here's what you should do. And then they go on to do the exact opposite. And then they get called out for it again. And then the episode ends. And then the episode ends before they even make anything right or anything. Like, I love that they're told, hey, maybe we should pray for these people. And then immediately it's like, nope, they've already they've already bought the house. Everything's good. Yeah. Well, now what are we supposed to do? I noticed that with the the interesting way that the episode was presenting, this is how you anticipate new neighbors. This is how you treat new neighbors in your head or between other people in your family. This is how you talk about them. I was wondering for a moment if this episode, if the theme was in service of the plot or if the plot was in service of the theme. Because mm. another big thing here is that if the episode is saying these rash judgments are inaccurate, Let's say the only thing that the kids had done was take what they actually saw from them, like the two kids who are picking on Hope or of the couple that's really standoffish. And let's actually make it so that their judgments are perceived in the episode to be accurate, regardless of whether the episode thinks so or not. I think that's still up in the air. So if we do that, then we get to the heart of the issue. We get to actually address what the kids were talking about because we get a really weak second act resolution at the end of the episode when Mary says, don't you see you were doing this? And John says it as well. And then they say, no, we didn't mean to do that. And Mary's like, okay, maybe you didn't, but you just have to be careful. Okay, episode's over. What if we had a, I keep pointing back to love rules. That might be one of my new favorite episodes in retrospect, just because of how well it does the internal family conflict and three-act structure. Which one was love rules? Haley wanting to go to the concert, her parents not letting her. She throws a fit about it and gets progressively worse and worse. That cuts to something that Haley has to deal with internally. We clearly see what the solution is, and yet she bucks against it the whole episode, and we get an excellent payoff with Maya in the end. Something we don't really get that often in these episodes. Yeah. When the kids make their mistakes honestly like they come to them they think that this is the right thing to do they would even defend it because that's how clearly focused they are on doing the right thing but they have it so flipped due to selfishness or whatever and then they can have that well did you think of this do you know this from the bible and it's like that sudden like oh sharp turn turn 180 because now we need now we know why this is wrong that's a lot more compelling than an episode where the kids are just barely doing anything wrong and don't even necessarily intend to do anything wrong and would not defend it if you showed it in any certain light, like even remotely wrong. Like you you hear Timmy, the dad's like, well, do you see this and this? And Timmy's like, well, when you put it that way, it sounds really bad. And it does sound really bad when you put it in a way that the kids barely intended for most of the episode. Yeah. Like, I don't think that Michael Morrison would do this. I don't think Michael would come up with, yeah, I'm going to jump to judge that person based on the fact that his second episode was how to deal with people. 
this very thing. Yeah. Who people who are blatantly being mean and enemies to you. How do you how do you treat them? I don't think he meant it like that. I really don't. I can see Hope meaning it like that. But Hope, while they're doing the whole flashbacks thing or the whole memory sequence thing or imagination sequence, I guess, Hope gets tired yeah. of it and she leaves. So she, she's she's the least involved in all this conjecturing. Yeah. And I it's also just weird. Like, hey, Michael, you know, you, the person that loves sports, would you rather creep on a bunch of people through binoculars and write down innocuous details about them or play basketball with your new sister? Yeah, that's a good point, too. Especially after that one conversation of him reading into the that couple that they were they weren't going to be good neighbors which establishes early on that they do have a pretty bad mindset about this. But then they both talk about getting out of there because they don't want to be around those people anymore. That's what, I I don't know. It just seems that, at least for Michael, it's setting up the plot right there and not necessarily following what the character would do. I agree with you there. I didn't really think about that beforehand. Yeah. I don't know. Was there anything we did like about this episode? Uh, Bill Mincer's kind of nice. Mm, yeah. That was a fun scene with him and uh, him and Hope. Yeah, I I remember listening to this and being kind of creeped out at, oh, you're, there's just a bunch of guys in suits. Oh, you're giving me this random advice about Mike. Uh, okay, or the random other guy named Mike. <laughs> right. Don't hang around with Mike. <laughs> Suffice it to say, this is the first episode that kicks off the entire final four season arc, or basically three season arc. So yeah, let's go. Uh, buckling in now. Oh boy, I found it amusing. This isn't necessarily something I liked about the episode, but something that made me laugh okay. nonetheless. Um, so I work in the mortgage home buying industry. Yes, you do. For those who don't know what I do on a day job basis. At the end, when the woman's like, hey, by the way, uh, they, they're, they're, these men came and they, gave, they offered way higher than listing price and they paid cash. I laughed because no, you don't. They did not pay cash. They agreed to 30 days in the future, probably at the least, pay cash at a closing. But there, there is no situation where you go to see a house and then they say, okay, yeah, I'm a realtor and you can buy this house right here if you have just the money in a briefcase. There are so many laws and regulations around making sure that the buyer got the money legitimately so that it's not part of some terrorist scheme <laughs> and there and a lot Which of that it has may to do very with, well be <laughs> right like, <laughs> all we know <laughs> right right but that has to do with like stuff like the patriot act and there's just there's just so much that goes into it that if you say i want to buy a house here's the here's the structure of things first you're going to make an offer and that includes telling the realtor what you want to buy the house for and then they drop a contract and you sign half of it and then you send it to the person who's selling the house then they take a look at it along with all the other offers and decide which one they like the most which will depend on what the um specifics of the contract are so like you might be saying hey i want to pay over listing price and i don't need an inspection of the house or you might be saying, well, I would like an inspection of the house just to make sure everything's good to go, um, but I'll also pay over listing price. And someone else might be like, I'll go under listing price, but here, I'll, I'll give you all of these things, like I'll pay for the realtor or something. 
And that's just before you accept the offer. And then once you accept the offer, everything has to be processed and underwritten and you have to make sure that everything's in tip-top shape. And then you have to go to a closing and sign a bunch of documents for like an hour or two. It is not a straightforward (laughs) process. There's no way they paid with cash that day before the... Even if they had cash, which this party probably would have had cash, possibly. I think that's... That's probable based on the identity of the people, but the seller would not accept cash. What's her name? Stacy no. Martin would not be accepting cash in this in this scenario. No. Okay. No. Uh, well, can so I, I mention that amusing? That you've, that's that's fine. Can I mention two other references to other audio dramas? Sure. I don't know if you noticed this, but John Campbell uses pretty much the same music he uses in Bodyguard. Yes. Yeah. It, which in Bodyguard, I was trying to place which episode it was from but yep. i knew that it was from odyssey here's those clips back to back right here yeah, yeah it was my roommate back it was my first day Dern is on your side so Hello. it's slightly different but some of the riffs even in the background are similar to what he uses there there's also Wait, but a, that means it links the two universes. Well, right? there's also another link to Left Behind. John is rooming in room 216. 216 is the number associated with the Antichrist in Left Behind. <laughs> and Roger Mueller plays the Antichrist in Left Behind. Wow. References. That was very intentional. Nice job, Lori. <laughs> <laughs> Although I have another question about why his John's roommate Brad Keller has a girl on the guys hall. During move-in week, that's not usually a thing. Not all colleges are liberty. (laughs) Well, do all colleges have these restrictions on their dorms? No. Oh, never mind then. I'm sheltered. Can we go to the wraps? Oh, wait, pun rating. Yes. Uh, There's no pun rating. Knock, knock. Who's there? Okay. Not bad. I'll give that a six. That's all right. There's people knocking on an open house door. Yeah, I think that's, that's fair. That's fair. All right, let's go to the wraps. Let's do it. Hey, hey, Ryan. Hey, knock, Michael, knock. How's it going? Who's there? Return to Gilead.com. <laughs> Return to Gilead.com, who? Yes, that's what you do when you go to the new search engine. I don't know what it's called, but it has something to do with owls. Uh, that's how you can access what? Return to Gilead.com. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about, and that's what's funny about this. You can Google. go there at Google. Google? Yeah. Google. It's the <laughs> owl version. We are far beyond the initial comparison made here. I'm tired. Go leave us voice messages. Tell us to stop, please. <laughs> <laughs> we just get like 10 people saying, stop. <laughs> no, that'd be great. I would love to have another compilation. If you guys just want to send in something stupid and then say stop at the end, that'd be, that'd be cool. You all just want to send us your best renditions of the sock song. We are the mighty side. Uh, what are we doing next time, Ryan? We're going to be reviewing It's a Richterful Life. Yeah. The first I'm just episode. Pre- preemptively say the pun rating for that is definitely a 10. <laughs> okay. Definitely. I don't remember how I feel about it. It's another Lori Twitchell episode, but we shall see. So until then. Uh, wait, you got to say it. So until then, I'm Ryan. <laughs> and I'm Michael. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you on the next episode as we once again return to Gilead.